This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Graham Norton Radio Show. How exciting is this? With Waitrose. Over on Virgin Radio. Up and Adam, come on, things to do. Don't cheer, you'll just embarrass yourselves. We're not bored of it yet, so it's lovely. There's no stopping them. No stopping them. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Oh, there's nothing nicer, is there? Nothing nicer. With Waitrose. Food to feel good about. I mean, what's not to like? Saturday and Sunday from 9.30. Over on Virgin Radio. He's the seafood dude who's letting us in on some simple supper secrets. His new book, Rick Stein's Simple Suppers, is out now and you always know you're in for a fine time when you dine with a book by Rick Stein. Morning, Rick. Good morning, Chris. Beautiful book, man. Fast suppers, fish suppers, one pot suppers, veggie suppers, suppers for one, suppers for two, suppers with friends, something sweet but not much baking involved. We'll get to that in a moment too. Good. How are, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, actually. It's a lovely day. Your studio is the best view in London, I would say. It's not terrible. Your book <laughs> opens with stories of open-heart surgery. Seems a funny way to start a cookery book, I have to say. But the point of it really was, why don't you talk about open-heart surgery if you've had it and share the, your feelings about it? Uh, but the other thing was, the first day before I had the operation, I had the fantastic hospital food haddock, very simply done a bit of soy sauce olive oil roasted peppers some haddock yeah it was lovely and i just thought if this is the way hospital food's going <laughs> we're all in for a jolly time every time i go to hospital next day after the op feeling a little bit groggy i have to say they asked me what i'd like for, for sunday lunch the next day and i said oh roast lamb and mint sauce and it was terrible it was just terrible the mint sauce i can remember this day it was like chewing minty gum but but not chewing gum just sort of gluggy gluggy horrible stuff it might have been my drugged up state at the time but as a result of it I was just thinking that dish that's a simple dish that's the sort of dish I like to cook all the time and, and just keep it simple and that was the sort of like I don't know the sort of basics of how I came along with all these simple dishes really that's what it was. One of the reasons I love your cooking anyway is because it does seem achievable you know when we watch you on the telly there's this nice chopping which is very meditative you know there's uh, there's Simple mixtures, lots of uh, butter-based sauces and things like that. Uh, it's a lot often to do with fresh food, depending on where you are in the world. And often, um, the more off the beaten track you go, the simpler the cooking is anyway. Well, that's right. And I mean, simple is simple is great for me. I mean, the, the other thing I think about my sort of style on cooking is, I always remember Antonio Carluccio, the Italian chef. I used to love him on telly. They used to say he was avuncular, like your sort of your ancient uncle. I feel I'm the same sort of geezer, really. But he used to just take his time cooking things. Things. Yeah, yeah. And you, when you watched him, you just thought, I could do that. I, I feel, I feel sort of at peace at home and, and not stressed by too much really, really chefy chopping. Yeah, and, and also, I, I like to do the same. The coordination of all the different things that take different times to cook. I mean, we had a, you know, we've had our second Sunday roast of post summer. We'll have one every every Sunday now. Uh, but there's lots going on there. And what we've started to do is reduce the number of ingredients and just make 
just so it's less stressful, uh, more achievable. And it does have a certain sort of peace to it when it arrives on the plate. Roasties take centre stage as always. And then we'll go one or two or three or four things. Yesterday, Tash did the red cabbage. We didn't eat most of it. So that's stri- we're striking things off the list. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, if, you, if you've got some leftover, there's a red cabbage. There's a very nice recipe in the book for bubble and squeak cakes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's your roasties and your cabbage all chopped up, maybe mixed mixed with a bit of dripping from the pan, made into a cake, like a fish cake, and fried with a poached egg on top. I just love bubble and squeak. So, so. do I. I well, do you know where it gets its name, bubble and squeak? No, I should have looked it up. We should no. know that, shouldn't we? Between us, we should have known that. Um, one pot supper is <clears throat> in there as well. Now, you, you prefix the one pot supper chapter with tales of the one the only the legend that is the oliver reed of cooking keith floyd yeah well it's a sort of bit of a silly joke really but david pritchard who filmed who made endless tv series with keith before i worked with him used to say you possibly may have known this but keith liked a glass or two and he liked he loved pubs so the the joke was that you'd you'd do a one pot dish so you'd get everything ready fry off your beef or whatever it is the onions garlic get it all going bubbling away then you leave it to cook for about two hours two and a half hours and you go down the pub right (laughs) then you come back and it's finished and you finish off the dish that to him and david as it happens was the perfect dish and only one pot so the camera stayed in the one dish yeah no the one pot thing it's a one pot legend how well did you know keith floyd i knew him very well actually i mean he used to come to my restaurant in the really early days and i was i was just in awe of him because he in addition to having three restaurants in bristol not all at the same time he'd also had a restaurant in provence so he he sort of introduced me to provencal fish soup and buried and but the idea of, of an of an english having a restaurant in the south of France was, you know, big, big honour, really. Yeah, and big kahunas as well to go big and kahunas. do it. Um, he had, had a restaurant in Ireland, didn't he? He did, for a short time, in Cork, yeah, just yeah. outside Cork. It was a beautiful yeah. village, I can't remember the name of it, I went there. Was, was it a... Kinsale? Kinsale, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 it's and lovely, I love Kinsale. Little hotel and restaurant there. Yeah, yeah. That's very renowned for its food, isn't it, Kinsale? Well, it was a gr- it's a great place, Kinsale. Um, they're very, very pleased I'm talking about it on your programme. <laughs> but the thing that impressed me about Kinsale in the 80s was that all the restaurants in Kinsale got together and said, let us sell Kinsale. Yeah. It's not about the individual restaurant. It's about the town. And it's a beautiful town. L- lots of sailing happens around big, there. That, I mean, that's not, not far off Padstow's mentality, really. It, it is. And I, I mean, I th- feel the same way because I mean, Padstow's got a lot of restaurants and got a Michelin star restaurant in um, Paul Ainsworth. But it's the, it's the whole attraction that, that brings people there, not just the individual Same restaurants. Same with Milo, with Tom, where we live. Absolutely. You know, there's 37 bars and restaurants, you know, because the magnet is there, whether it's Tom or whether it's the people, whether it's the mindset, whether it's a combination of everything. It really works, doesn't it? It does, and Tom's that sort of person, isn't he? He's really yeah. generous-hearted. Ludlow's the same as well. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And if you go to these places and you can't get in one place, there's enough of them around. You could probably get in the other one or, you know... Um, uh, 
Vasu is there as well now. Atul Kutcher's there. It's, it's great, man. I love it. It, you, it works well, really you does. You have a little foodie theme weekend without trying too hard or having to wait six months for a table. I know that <laughs> certain restaurants are like that still, but... Well, only in the summer, Chris, you know. No, I know. It's, uh, it's tough out there. Well, you've been there, haven't you? Bubble and squeak. The dish's name supposedly derives from the noises made when the ingredients are fried. Well, I'm blown. They bubble it. That would be it's about very, right, it, it? Yeah. It's very, it's very British, that, I They think. bubble and they squeak. They squeak more if they're still alive. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> Lobsters squeal, don't they? Well, no, really. I, 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 they don't, but to explain what happens is almost as, as unpleasant. No, let's not do it. It's about the air coming out, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. They do squeal, but it's not them squealing. But they're still not having a great time, let's face it. There's tomato soup, and then in your one-pot suppers chapter, there's tomato bread soup. Yeah. Yes, Rick, yes. Well, I mean, it's an Italian dish originally, but d- designed to use up stale bread, which I-, I love those dishes. There's another one in there called panzanella, which is, again, a uh, this time an Italian dish, but a salad. But the great, the, the great thing about tomato and uh, bread soup is it's just very quick to make. Yeah. And, and you know, parmesan, it's just very, very nicely flavoured. You know? Yeah. And the thing, because we all dip our, you know, you get nice sourdoughs. How great. What about the sourdough revolution, Rick? Oh, I mean, the bread in this country has just changed out of all it's recognition. Okay, they go, it's £10 for a loaf. Yeah, but it's a meal. <laughs> you, can, you can have toast for it for three days, not eat anything else. It's not bad, is it? It's £2 a day. It's awesome. It, I mean, I remember filming in in san francisco at a sourdough place perhaps the origin of sourdough as we know it it was in the gold rush that they used to take the sourdough starter with them because it was simple to bake bread but he was saying that that people with gluten intolerance can could generally it's a place called tartine in san francisco could generally eat his bread because there were no additives and i think the bread the dough the dough the the wheat has had time to sort of rest and mature and whatever it is that upsets people in normal bread doesn't in sourdough yeah they say it's good for you don't they so san francisco is how i remember it um you talk about salt in there as well you do equate salt to something quite deathly i can't remember what is it you equate well, salt to smoking that's well, that's what you do it wasn't that so much chris it was it's just a this... funny quote though yeah, yeah. yeah otherwise you put it in not me well it was just this film i can't remember somebody might remember yeah. and dude asked them to to call in if they do but it was a film in the 70s I think with one character saying to the other offering other character a cigarette and the guy said no I've given them up and he said well you intending to live forever then and it's sort of like the, the, it's yeah. not the fact that it's I mean, a hard sell yeah, it's a hard <laughs> sell but personally no I don't smoke I used to and I'm very very glad I gave it up and of course it kills but what I'm saying really is that we're all going to die of something yeah. and sometimes I feel we're a little too cautious yeah. you have to live a bit and also you know? we're, we're sort of um uh uninformed and co- over cautious so when when cause you talk about salting food and you talked about um about uh, seasoning food you know if you are putting salt on top of your food that's all right yeah. it's when the salt's in the food and you don't know about it is there nothing wrong with seasoning food no i i agree i mean i think the the, the sort of most common used flavoring addition in commercial in mass-produced food is salt and sugar and it's irresistible the 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 combination of those two flavors and it's obviously very cheap 
but you wouldn't want to be putting that into all your food because you, you just increase the amount of sugar and salt you eat generally. Yeah, yeah. And, and what you're saying is absolutely right. And there's really great salt, like the Himalayan salt and things like that. Absolutely. There's other dodgy salt that doesn't have actually that much salt in it. It has sugar and other stuff in it. You can buy salt that doesn't that isn't is is least of all salt. You've but, probably heard this one, Chris, but David Pritchard, I used to work with director for years and years, claimed he'd found some sort of ancient Himalayan salt and uh, it said this is more than 250,000 years old. Used by date on it. <laughs> no, that's not on. It's true, but it's not on. Um, you talk about fish. Um, so, Vassus, you were a bit scared of the fish dishes because you think they're too tough to pull off but the whole point about fish is it's simple fastest first of all what was the one that worried you well, no, it was i just liked the idea because you have late night late night suppers yeah. and it starts with your um you says your ultimate scrambled eggs and yeah. i and i can completely see you know you come in from the pub you're a bit hungry yeah just whip yourself up you know rick's ultimate scrambled eggs perfect right yeah. and then i and then i but i'm thinking about you coming back from the pub and then it, a little bit more um a little bit more yeah sophisticated noodles with stir fried greens but absolutely that's a late night dish and then you and this, this has amused me, Rick. Lemon sole meunier. Well, yeah, make yourself a soul. It's, it's at not midnight. difficult. Don't be scared of it. it. It's not. But but the, the, there was two things about you know that's coming home from the pub, not the lemon sole. Yeah. Funnily enough, when I come home from the pub, what I love is a, an old cereal called grape nuts, which not many people oh, know. Yes, I love grape nuts. Do you? Oh, the tiny little hard yes, things. Yes, yes. They used, used to put them on top of other cereals, but actually just a bowl of grape bowl nuts. Bowl of grape nuts. Brown sugar and full fat milk. Yes, it's just perfect. Mm. However. The lemon sole was the sort of thing you could cook yourself when you're trying to, I don't know, console yourself, comfort yourself. It's not something a whole fish like that. You wouldn't want to cook for too many people because you wouldn't have pans big enough because it's pan fried. And I, I just personally, when I'm cooking a fish dish, I love lemon sole. I will cook that dish, have a one glass of wine, and think how <laughs> splendid yeah. is a fish simply cooked like yeah, that. Yeah, if it doesn't taste great, have two glasses of wine. It'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you've had a go. Sinead's had a go. <laughs> Come on, what have you taken on <laughs> I, in front of the man himself? I know, I know, I'm scared. Um, I made the mushroom and thyme tart. Yeah, and well, it looks to... great. It does oh. look great. It, does, it looks amazing. It looks like it does in the book. Um, I love cooking um, and uh, I really enjoyed making it. It's quite it's quite simple, but also lots of little moving parts. You've got to get the mushrooms and the onion. You've got to wilt the spinach. Yeah, maybe a bit too much, you know. I do say in one oh, or two wow. of the dishes, this is borderline simple but let oh me just god. try a bit oh, oh my god, god. you're not, not going to be just Rick, that is amazing i'm not oh yeah good i, I want it to be i was really honest oh well, she's nailed it hasn't she i'll tell you why you've nailed it right <laughs> not only is it lovely <laughs> but it's also crisp all, all all on the bottom because oh sometimes if you get that wrong if your oven's not hot enough it can be a bit undercooked but that is really good well, that's what I was worried about, the actually. amazing. Because um, uh, I, I cooked it on baking pa uh, paper. Yeah. And I, I didn't know whether you'd done that in the recipe or I just did it because I didn't want it to No, because it's puff pastry. It, it doesn't... It, it won't stick to the pan because there's, there's, there's okay, so much, um, well, butter or... What is in the heart of that? Is it lemon? Is it, what's, what's going on there? So you've got spinach, creme fraiche. It's creme um, fraiche. Yeah, it's probably creme fraiche. You're Something you're quite citrusy in the middle of it, though. Um, Almost limey. I love it. Like it? Yeah. I think it's the creme. Oh, wow. 
Okay, and you, you've had a go as well. Well, I have it. Well, you've got something to beat now, let me tell you, Rick Stein, just because it's you. From your book. What have you got, Crop Monsieur? Mmm. Okay, where does this make it into the book? It makes it into the book. I said, speaking with my mouth full. Yeah, but you're very good at that because you're on the telly all the time. No, but somebody said to me the other day, how come you swallow your food so quickly? I said, because I can't speak with my mouth full. I know. You, I'm, t- I'm telling said, you, I know you went in for open heart surgery, but I was worried about your tummy more for <laughs> many years. Because well, It's called the Stein Swallow because what normally happens on a cookery show, and Rick is out and about and he's just travel shows slash cookery shows, is, you know, he goes to, the, the host will go to take a bite, cut away, spit it out, whatever, <laughs> on you go, right? Rick, one take wonder over here, right? Cracks on. And you think, hang on a minute, he's, that's a, quite a substantial mouthful. And he just has this whole... It's like a, I, like a dromedary. I, I, you'll, deal with, uh, you'll deal with it later. Yeah. It's so funny, actually, because I, I got really cross. I mean, we were doing a bit of filming in Walthamstow, of oh all places. And this guy came up and said how much he liked your programmes. He said, but my mother can't stand the way you eat on telly. <laughs> Yeah, and then somebody came up with a book signing for the Simple Suppers the other day and said, surely you must get terrible indigestion. But what can you do? You know, the director's saying, you've got to eat some stuff. Yeah. But then you can't really put a tiny bit in your mouth because it doesn't look as though you're enjoying it. It's like saying to Mike Mike Tyson, but, you know, you do have to get punched, don't you? He's a boxer! That's what happens. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I gotta but, say, I gotta say, yours is as good as Sinead's, which is fair enough because oh, you are excited. Croc Monsieur. Right. Well, the, the reason it makes the book is that most Croc Monsieur you have to make a bechamel sauce, which takes time. But I've just put um, creme fraiche, and again, you've got that lemony taste in it. Creme, creme fraiche and Gruyere cheese. Uh, which makes it just much e- easier to do, really. It's just as simple as that. But, I mean, it is obviously a simple s- supper, but I would say. So it comes out to, to shake you firmly by the hand, doesn't yeah. it, this taste? Do you know what I mean by that? Mm. There's nothing limp, lettucey, sort of lank, palmed no. about this, let me tell you. And is it pepper or is there a bit of mustard in there? There's mustard and pepper, pepper. and nutmeg. Nutmeg. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, so nice. What a great breakfast. Well, not breakfast, but supper. <laughs> right. Anyway, don't matter. We get up at like three o'clock in the morning. It's nearly supper for yeah. us. Wow. The only chapter in the book that doesn't have the word supper in it is the baking, the sweet sensations or sweet. Yeah, called? yeah, just um... sweet. I don't know. I'll get it for you. Don't worry. Don't worry. You've had open heart surgery. Relax. Um, well, something sweet. Something sweet. And you, you do, you, you crack, you, you get us over the line in the first paragraph because you say, look, Fans of the Bake Off may not like this, but we, we're, there's, a, there's as little baking as possible in my baking chapter. Yes. Discuss. Well, I mean, again, because baking takes time, so I have I put a lot of very simple things in it, like Cheats tiramisu, which basically you don't bake the sponge in the tiramisu, you buy it in. And then uh, I've also got... Because that's where they all go wrong, tiramisus. Yeah. Something. Yeah, I it's think like so. floating foundations. <laughs> <laughs> You know that? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you know London's built on floating foundations. It's amazing that, isn't it? Yeah, because... Yeah, um, what's his name? Peter Bazalgette. You know the t- TV producer? I know him, yeah. His great-grandfather was the architect, wasn't he? He invented the... The sewers. The he sewers. did all the sewers, yeah. Yeah, the, I think his name was Rubik, wasn't it? I can't remember. Anyway, no, but if you... Sorry, if you get the... What are the fingers called? The sponge in Tiramisu? Um, well, finger... I mean, the, the, you can use different ones. Yeah, they're the one, but it all sponges. goes wrong there. Right? Yeah, yeah, So you've yeah, taken yeah. that out of the scenario. Yeah, yeah definitely. Another one, I mean, it's... Um, actually, one of my favourite dishes in, in the book is the lemon posset, which is a old 
you know, old British dish. So simple. It's just lemon juice, sugar and cream. And I sometimes think that's all you want, especially if you've had quite a big main, main course. So I mean, you know, I love things like apple crumble or, you know, uh, bread and butter pudding, but just having a, a really simple thing like that. Fruit loaf, a, by the way. Well, the fruit loaf is fruit baking, loaf, but, but funnily enough, that was we did a few series in Cornwall and that came out of um, uh, uh, going to a Cornish tea uh, garden, right, where they grow tea in Cornwall. I didn't know it was possible, but it is. So the fruit loaf is flavoured with tea. But I did a book signing the other day in, in Bath and there was like 500 people came to it and they baked that fruit loaf and cut it up into little squares and they got a tiny little glass of Madeira at lunchtime. So this is really old-fashioned and fun. This is um, <laughs> this book is so beautiful and it's smaller than most cookbooks. Was that? I mean, obviously, all decisions are important. This will have been thought about, won't it? Yeah, well, it just sort of looks a bit more like something you have in the kitchen because, I mean, it's sort of designed to... You know, be splattered in oil, really. Also, it doesn't take up too much of the work surface. Those big cookbooks are a nightmare. Yeah. You can't fit any, you can't get nowhere for your chopping board. Do you <laughs> no. know what I mean? Yes. It's true, though. Yeah. So it's got a sort of like, you know, handbook feel about it, I think. Rick, you look great. You sound great. It's so lovely to have you around as ever. You're an amazing human being. You've got great energy behind everything you do. Well, so have you, as it happens, Chris. <laughs> it's so good to see you well. I'm really pleased for you. Um, when you were. Not so well when you're recovering from this open heart surgery, which is no mean thing. And by the way, well done to everybody who helps us to A, um, spot it when it's required, B, facilitate the surgery, and C, look after us all afterwards. Well, and, you know, we, we never give those people enough gratitude. Uh, I'm having dinner with my cardiologist on Friday to thank him. Oh, can I have his number? <laughs> I'm not joking, by the way. Um, what other reflections did you think about going forward because you've had a fantastic life. I know you'd be the first to say that and, and to be thankful for it. What do you think for the next few years? What's going to happen with all your industry, with all your activities, with all your busyness? Well, I suppose one of the things of having successful um, heart surgery like that, by the way, anybody that's had it will know you're, you're part of the Unzip Club, basically. Is that It just gives you a new lease of life. It is one of those operations that... I think the surgeon said it's a bit of a plumbing job, you know, and you got your sort of, you, you sort of got your health back because yeah, yeah. obviously before that, yeah. for about four or five years, I was suffering from breathlessness you and lots of. Didn't know why. I didn't know why. And you um, normalised it probably. Yeah, you do. I think that's very what humans do. We just adapt to a new situation and, and learn to live with it. But just having it done and having this sort of like rush. I just put this a song in the book, actually, Stevie Winwood's Back in the High Life yeah, again, that, yeah. just simply because I just felt, you know, I just am back in, back, back doing my normal Good stuff. You, You'd mate. be the same. Yeah, you know, no. it's just, it's just this sort of joy of actually getting back and doing it's things. Rewinning the lottery again. It, it is, Chris, you know. it is. Um, and you're still swimming? Gosh, yes. I, I, I love swimming. Do you reckon that could be key to your recovery? Well, I do think everybody needs to take a bit of exercise and uh, swimming for me is, is per perfection because I've got these aquatic headphones, earphones, you know, so I can listen to music while yeah. I'm swimming. So it's not that boring. And you're an open water, cold water guy. Yeah, I do. I do love my cold water. I mean, you can't stand for long because I don't use a wetsuit, but it's just, just that sort of rush. Of You've been of, in it for years, haven't you? I have, probably 20 years, I should think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just part of... 
Yeah, I'd probably get a bit sort of crotchety if I wasn't able to swim. swim you know, every you've day. always reminded me of Daniel Craig. Really? Do you know why? <laughs> no. It's, honestly, I'm not joking. No. I'm not being cute. Because I always thought, what must it feel like? Not anymore, because he's finished. But what must it feel like when Daniel Craig finally raps on a Bond movie and he gets on that plane to go wherever he's going? Till the next one, I thought, that must be a thing. We've just made another Bond movie. I've just been James Bond again. And I always think the same about you and the second week in December, because I've been with you a couple of times on this particular day. Some t- couple of years you've been on the show saying, it's that day again. I go, don't talk to me about that day. And then a couple of times we've been out for lunch and you say, it's that day again. So don't talk about that day. And it's the day where, when I go back to my house at three or four o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. you you fly to Australia for Christmas. Yes. And that's why I, you always remind me yes, of Daniel Craig. It's true. Well, it's funny, actually. It's just... I don't know. I mean, it's just the best feeling getting on that plane and thinking, I'm going to the... I'm going to I bet you know the date this year, don't you? Well, it's a bit earlier. But I bet you know the date. 12th. <laughs> Good for you, Rick. Why there? Flipping heck not. It's great to see you again, man. Very nice to see you. You're the best. Let's hear for Rick Stein in the control room. Here we go. Control room round of applause. <laughs> He's the best, isn't he? Love Rick it, Stein's love it. Simple Supper's out now. It's a cracking book. He's a cracking guy. And thank heaven he's still with us for many years more. Please, God. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ah, recently <laughs> retired next guest is quite simply one of the greatest English cricketers. And we have him to thank for some of our favourite Ashes watching moments. His autobiography, Broadly Speaking, is out this Thursday. He put the Aussies to the sword. He'll never leave you bored. He's Stuart Flippin' Broad. All right, Broadly. <laughs> Stuart Broad, Broadly Speaking. What a great book, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed writing it. Congratulations. Um, so you you solicited some counsel from people who you love and respect, both in the game and off the cricket pitch. Um, and you were, you were trying to sort of figure out whether it's the right time to retire. And lots of your mates said, when you know, you know. But you didn't know. No, <laughs> I had, I had no gut feeling, honestly. It was so difficult. Definitely the hardest decision I've ever had. Um Ultimately, I knew I wanted to finish at the top. I wanted to bowl my last ball playing for England. I, I wanted to still be loving the game and still be able to achieve. I had this bit of a fear in my in my soul that I, I'd play against a 21-year-old. At th- I'm 37. I'd play against a 21-year-old and they'd go, he's rubbish. I thought he was supposed to be good. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost wanted to go while I could still play the game. But I was still loving it. I was still... Play, like playing under Baz and, and Stokes is such a joy and it's they've taken the fear of failure away they've taken the pressure away they've taken the the results driven business away and it honestly it was like playing club cricket from when I was back at 16 years old so uh, it was a really difficult decision but I, I just I knew I at 37 
sport can come at you quite quickly and I didn't want to just walk off the field with a torn hamstring and that be the end. Yeah. So I had to try and control my own destiny in that. So. No, it's really important. It's really important. However, you said the opposite to Jimmy Anderson a few years ago because he was thinking about retiring at the same age as you now have and you told him not to. So he took your advice, but you didn't fast or rewind that advice back to yourself again. Yeah, I didn't tell him. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those, I kept my circle really, really small yeah. because... Uh, I, I knew I had to make the decision and yeah. I didn't. So even when I went to tell the skipper Stokesy, I wasn't going in for a negotiation. I had to be quite clear as to, right, Stokesy, that's me. I, I'm done. Rather that was your than, phrase, wasn't it? Yeah, that's me. I just shook his hand. He gave me a big hug. But um, yeah. And you, all, you said to everybody, that's me. That's me. And yeah. I don't know why. I've never, don't think I've ever said that before in my life. You know, it just came out. But um, I thought it was going to be the title of your book, but yeah. <laughs> that's me. But it's not, it's broadly speaking. In, by the way, we think it's a really bad pun, which is why you put it in lowercase at the bottom of the page, the front cover. Well, I think every autobiography's got to have a bit of a pun in there, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you mm. clearly, you, you've given yours as big a banner as it deserves, broadly speaking. <laughs> it's, it is a great book, though. It's a fantastic book. So, Basball, just give us 15 seconds. I know you only mentioned it once at the beginning, once at the end. It's actually referred to a lot, but during the book but Basball is from a guy called Baz who is Baz what is Basball in 15 seconds uh, Baz McCullum he's a, a, New, a New Zealand legend cricketer came in as head coach and, and has changed the fortunes of the English test side by freeing up the mentality getting rid of the results driven business we lived in got rid of the fear of failure and made it feel like you're playing cricket with your friends when you're 15 beautifully done and the only reason I should be so quick with that is because the original Baz was Kaz your mum because you were playing Kazball as a kid Kazball yeah tell us about Carol Tell because she also, she had a very similar mentality yeah, she still she does yeah so any sport I played whether that be sort of cricket rugby football hockey anything anytime I got back in the car uh, it would never be oh did you, you got naught why did you play that shot or why did you drop a catch the first question was always have you loved it? Have you had fun? Have you enjoyed it? What and, a mum. And her mom. her opinion on sport is, it's not about scoring goals or scoring tries. It's about having fun with your friends. So you can go and get no runs and take no wickets, but you can have a great day. Yeah. Uh, and I do remember in those, in those years, opening the curtains on a Saturday morning and just praying to see sunshine so I could go and play cricket. And, um, you know, sometimes professional sport can drag those feelings away from you. But uh, that's something that Baz and Stokesy have, have brought back to the group that we're, you know, we're, I'm 37 and I'm opening the curtains in the morning going, oh, yes, I, I can play some cricket. Do you cricket. think Baz, Brendan, got it from Cass, Carol? Uh, I don't think he did. <laughs> <laughs> have you checked? But, you know, mum might have been a good coach. <laughs> well, she clearly was. Just reading about, you know, that part of the book, I was thinking, I've got to line up with my kids. You know, I'm pretty light anyway, but that's just full on. It was always that, wasn't it? She didn't like give you give give herself three of those so she could ask you one serious question it, that was just her total mentality absolutely yeah and and so authentic and true with it you know you're right i think almost that that fun and enjoyment gets dragged away if the third question's well you know you could have done that way better today oh, or I'm, you know I'm ultimately, guilty of that. ultimately sport I, I think we went through that little period where kids would be good at one sport at 12 years old and, and they'd go, right, that's all you're going to play for, for the next three, four years yeah. type thing. And, and then you just burn out and you don't enjoy it. And all the best cricketers that I've, I've played with, the likes of you know, Joe Root, Joss Butler, Ben Stokes, Chris Wokes, they're all fantastic sports people. They've all played loads of different sports growing up. And then at 16, 17 go, I'm actually really good at cricket. I'm going to play that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, mum was crucial for me. And I, I, when I actually uh, started playing for Leicestershire under sort of 14, 15s, I had to fill out a form. 
and said, where have you learnt your cricket? So whether you say school or club cricket, mum just put the garden, yeah. you know, the back so garden, that's, that's where I just wanted to be. Made me smile when I read that. Um, but it almost didn't happen for you mid-teens, did it? Because... Uh, no, it, it didn't. I, uh, I, I, I sort of didn't get selected. I wasn't showing a huge amount of of talent really I, I, or tallness at that no, time no I grew a foot in a year when I was 16 and a half which is quite a lot it's a can bit you imagine of, you know fate looked after me I slept a lot but I slept it, that a lot that was a very similar thing that happened to Michael Jordan wasn't it was it yeah he went through a growth spurt yeah. they sent him away to grow yeah. and they said if he grows we'll be fine but if he doesn't grow, he came back he'd grown oh he's grown it's alright yeah, I got looked after with a, with a growth spurt. But yeah, I, I knew I had a decent technique, but I just had no power and no strength to sort of hit the ball to the boundary. So I, I didn't really have a great amount of success from 15, 16, coming into to 17. And then because I, I st- I, my technique was OK, when I did grow, I caught up yeah. and then suddenly... You know, I, I, at 17, I was umming and ahhing whether cricket was going to be for me because I maybe wasn't quite good enough. And you loved and hockey then, as well. I loved hockey, yeah. And then, I, you know, I played for England at 20, I think. So it's, I, I had a real quick uh, flow into the international game through playing for Leicestershire as well. Well, good for you and good for us. And, you know, things came screaming back at me. Of course, I forgot that you went in after Johnny Bairstow was, you know, that terrible stumping. Uh, I forgot that you were next in and you were like so angry and Stokes was there as oh I get it it might get a bit too crickety for some people I'm going to try and keep it general but it's so I mean that story's goosebumps ah and you giving it all the bands um, which you're not renowned for but you have got previous of I have got previous uh, you know I've, I've sort of Especially in my older age playing, I'd, I'd pride myself in being able to control my emotions on the field. I've worked really hard with sort of different team psychologists to to be really good at that. But I just had red mist for 10 minutes. and The I most was, ever? The most ever red mist I've ever had, yeah. I, I, Johnny got stumped in a unique way, yeah. uh, given out. The crowd revved me up in a sense they the were world. booing the Aussies the and, world and I just I, I lost the plot for 10 minutes and sort of was <laughs> picking a fight with every Australian you, you I could see you were walking around the field yeah a bit, bit as petulant. for you as for you it was a bit like that to be honest and then I must admit I gathered my thoughts after about 10 minutes and I got together with Stokesy in the middle who was batting and I said how you doing Skip how are you getting on He's, he sort of said yeah do this do that I'm going to do this and uh, he said, and continue what you're doing. I said, what do you mean? He's like, continue going at them because I think you're wobbling them. They've, yeah. they've gone away from what they were doing. They went quiet, didn't they? They went quiet. So it, it was 10 minutes of red mist, uh, which I'm a bit embarrassed about. And then it was a little bit more calculated and it was a little bit more guided to try and get a bit of a mental uplift. And uh, it was a weird feeling because uh, I remember walking the going to get a coffee with Molly after that game and we're 2-0 down in the ashes at this stage. Mm. And people in the street were going, loving the cricket, keep going. It's been fantastic. We had a couple of the lads in here. We used to, like, but I was smiling. almost going, we're t- I wanted to go, we're 2-0 down, we're losing type Nobody thing. Cares. But they were they were just loving the the entertainment of it and the, the fun of it and the style that we were trying to play. And oh, if it wasn't for the rain at Manchester, I think it would have been one of the greatest sort of sporting comebacks we, we've seen. Yeah, no, you mentioned Molly there. Um, one of the greatest get-together stories I've ever read about. First of all, do you mind... Um, telling people who Molly is if they don't already know and then how you got together. Yeah, so Molly uh, used to be in the Saturdays uh, and then is now a radio presenter, uh, does sort of Thursday nights, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. She's, um, you know, it's incredible how she's managed to to change careers and, and grow as a person, now mother to, to Annabella, our, our near one-year-old daughter. So, yeah, she's a she's a star. And I, honestly, I think she's, she's played such a crucial role in 
since we've been together in giving me a great perspective in sport as well because she's probably in her own words she she hadn't watched any cricket before we we got together you know we got put in touch by a mutual friend I, I'd sort of said in an interview years ago we're talking like 12 years ago they're like oh who do you yeah, bit fancy. old school yeah, oh, who do you fancy, fancy type yeah. thing and I said oh you know Molly King from from the Saturdays and that mutual friend then was in a PR day with her and said oh this cricketer likes you but he's just got injured would you send him a you know, I think it was even the days before video messages, but like a tweet or something. And that was our first connection. But we, I share the birthday with her mum. Right. So that was almost our first sort of talking. And then we, we had a few dates when we were younger, 10, 10 years ago, probably. But like, like I was playing international cricket for three teams at the time, the, the 2020 one day and test. So I was all over the, the world. I was going to New Zealand. She was going to LA and it just didn't work at that time. And, and we got back together about five years ago and haven't looked back since really. And we've, we've grown a fam- family together now. That is amazing. Uh, you referred to an injury there. What's it like to have both cheeks broken and your nose broken by a single ball? How painful is that? How does that, is that the most pain you've ever been in on a cricket pitch how does it compare to your bloody bleeding feet every day at the end of a test match uh the feet are an interesting one so t- as a fast bowler 10 times your body weight goes through your your ankles and feet every ball oh. so it, it's you know so there's a bit of stress going on and i must admit people have said oh how are you feeling about moving away from the game like have you missed it loads and of course i'm going to miss the competitive side and the moments where you yeah. take wickets and but the feet, I'm not going to miss. You know, I, my, I, I'm not going to miss the pet, those little niggles and the little pain that comes with it. But there's something, when you're in it together with your team, there's something quite nice about sharing a bit of pain with your team at times. And you know you're doing it for your teammates. Your feet and, were always the bloodiest. Uh, yes. They yeah. were literally every, bleeding. Every fast bowler has it, but uh, mine, mine... From the toes or from the sole? Toes, the yeah, toes. Toenails. Yeah, they're, they're gone. Black yeah. toe. Yeah, that's, that's there. Woo! <laughs> so it's the... It's the Cricketing equivalent of cauliflower is for a yeah, it probably player. is. Yeah, it probably is. But at least we can hide ours. I once overserved to my um, son. He was seven at the time because I wanted to beat him, and I was fifty. Um, <laughs> one, and I'll never forget it. It was one serve at tennis. It was at Tuton Glen Hotel. It was in the indoor court, and I, I quite deservedly ripped my shoulder, and it still hurts. And I have mm. loads of physio. It hurts now. I have loads of physio. Rotator cuff, was it? Yeah, three years ago, right. How's your right shoulder? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, uh, do you know what? I'm actually been touched with really lucky with injuries. Well, how come it's... I can do one serve and it still hurts and you have a lifetime of fast bowling and it's all right? I know uh, you're can a Can I be, yeah, I was yeah, going to say, can I be polite enough to say I was a professional Just athlete? Yeah. <laughs> Just about got there can before I, him. Could I, could I question your warm-up techniques or yeah. your how much preparation have you done before My that ego serve? techniques you could question, that's for sure. Uh, I so, bet you went from 0 to 100 mile an hour, didn't you? Well, I'd like to have gone to 100, it's about 15, <laughs> but it still was enough. Um, so, you know, personally, anything I can do about this? Uh, yeah, you can maybe try swimming. Get swimming. in the pool. Okay, I'll try swimming. Okay, I'll finish Stretch. You, then I'll go swimming. Um, but what about this ball that broke both your cheeks and broke your nose? Yeah, it was ugly. Uh, it was ugly and it came from nowhere, clearly, obviously. They, didn't the bowler change direction or change around the going around yeah, the wicket or something? Yeah, and I actually, what what caused it to go through my grill was actually I top-edged the ball, which right. added spin. Why you, sorry, why don't you explain what happened? Because I've read the book. So what happened? Uh, so I was playing against India at Old Trafford and I, I was facing... Um, Varun Aaron, who bowled me two bouncers and I played them well, hit them for six. So he changed his angle and came over the wicket. Bowled me another one. I thought, happy days. I'm going to have another hook shot at this. 
and I top edged the ball instead of middling it and it spun through my helmet grill and just hit me flush onto the nose. Uh, so yeah, it did um, maybe a bit graphic for this early in the morning. But it, it fault on the helmet grill. No uh, offense to people. It shouldn't have got through. It shouldn't, shouldn't have got through. But it uh, yeah, it split my nose down the middle, broke it both places, broke both my cheekbones. But to be honest, it, it wasn't that. <laughs> It wasn't that painful at the time because it was my shoulder on the other yeah, hand. It wasn't that painful at the time. It was. It, I was a bit like, oh gosh, that's hit me. Yeah, uh, where's that hit me? Is it my teeth? Is it my nose? Um, but I think it had some psychological damage going forward. I was probably 20, 28, 29 at the time, and I never really recaptured the form with the bat that I'd shown. Yeah. Before that, because uh, you are, you, I mean, you have 160 odd to your name, don't you? In yeah, 160 at Lords. Yeah, yeah, that so was 2010. Can, so can I can bat. play, and yeah. I just, I just lost a bit of confidence in practice, and I almost gave me the reality of how much a ball can hurt. <laughs> Does that make sense? No, totally, um, totally. And if you, if you, you weren't, you didn't go naturally forward, and nor did you go back. So you, you found yourself in no man's land. Yeah, I, I lost probably my, my mental fortitude to batting a little bit which made me lose a bit of technique so I probably didn't practice as hard as I could have done uh, and I saw myself very much as a bowler who could add useful runs and um, yeah it, it was a it was a tough time and I probably didn't, didn't deal with that mentally as well as I should have done I didn't f like go to a psychologist and go look I'm suffering with this a little bit help me get through this yeah. I very much focused all my mental techniques around bowling um, but you know hindsight's a wonderful thing and uh, yeah if I had my time again I'd probably probably hit that yeah you know. but you are where you are and you mm. wouldn't be here talking to us having this conversation you might not have Annabelle because that's yeah, the way yeah. all, we're all exactly where yeah, we're meant absolutely. to be which I think is so reassuring and takes mm. all the anxiety away from any situation any moment anyway if you remember to breathe I think that's the most important thing um, so what is it like when a batsman has a bowler on the run what's that feel like Stuart well, it's happened a few times to me. Give, uh, give as us, it would give do. us the, the most memorable over. Yeah, I mean, I, I as a young kid, twenty-one, I think it was twenty-one, twenty-two. I got hit for six sixes by Yuvraj Singh in Durban, which is a quite a, you know, it's quite a unique thing. Not many people have, have <laughs> ha has that happened to. I, I think in the history of game, maybe I'm guessing six times, maybe seven times. So it was quite a devastating thing to happen as a young kid, for just, sure. Just let's slow down a bit. So my fault because that's a bit too quickly. Um, Second ball, two six, two from two. Yeah. Third ball. You think, well, the odds are still with me. How how was that journey? If we slow that, I wasn't thinking the odds were still with me at were the time. No, really? it was a, it was a scramble. It was a scramble. It was uh, my brain got a bit fried, um, and ultimately, I tried to bowl the same ball six times, which I learned from a huge amount because I never tried to do that again. You know, it was <laughs> that it wouldn't was, work. Yeah, wouldn't it? it wouldn't work. I, really, after three, I should have gone. This isn't working. I should maybe try and change this up. Just put a spin in there or something. Yeah, so uh, it it was one of those, it was a, a, a really bad day for me, a really bad day as a young kid, but also probably made my career right. because it made my mindset change to having to have routines. I had to develop a, a mental um, side of my game that looked after me. Uh, I, I, it's where I set my goal that lasted till the day I moved on from the game of continuous improvement because I'd sort of just... Stored. I was a bit of feeling like talent was going to get me everywhere. I was sort of yeah. played for England for two years. I'm talking for three or four months, cruising around, thinking, you know, I've got this. I can be an international player for a long time because I've I've got a bit of talent, and that taught me that it's all about hard work. It's all about mindset. And um, I don't think I'd have played till I was 37 and taken 600 Test wickets if it wasn't for that day because it it hardened me up. Uh, and I learned a lesson at 22 that it takes a lot of sports people maybe to the 26, 27, yeah. to be honest, to, to really 
to really learn about what you, what it you takes. You refer to it in the book as what makes you tick. Yeah, it took you till you were twenty seven to to realize yeah. what in cricket, what it was that made you tick. What was it if you could pick out one thing? So for me, it was about uh, outwardly engaging say the crowd or teammates I think if I got internal so if I started thinking thinking technically within myself within a game situation I was gone wow. you know that was no good wow. I ha- if I ever started thinking technically or getting internal within my brain I'd go to a teammate and say what do you think about this how are you feeling about this or towards certainly towards the back end I'd get the crowd going yeah, yeah. because I felt like the crowd added a nice pressure to me because ultimately you can't get the crowd you can't get 30,000 people jumping and then bowl a rubbish ball can you <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't work you I can't could, you can't get people you, you can't get people cheering and then go oh that's gone to the boundary um <laughs> so uh, i found that if i got ex- i got uh, external to things and got got yeah, the yeah. energy going from outside of me but, but that what's helped. that back to mum but let's have some fun here yeah exactly it's exactly catball. yeah so that so it? that really that really worked for me and you know I, ultimately a question i get asked a lot is what would you tell a younger stewart yeah, like yeah, a 15 year old stewart and and it would have been make notes like like learn more when you you're in those early 20s you did Don't make just, a lot of notes though didn't you i did but from 26 27 right, on got it. and that helped grow so much experience and knowledge yeah um, one of my favorite quotes um about talent is uh, talent is only a starting point you know and it's the same 100 percent. it's the same like mm. good ideas you know a good, a good idea good ideas don't go in it go good ideas don't go anywhere by themselves it's all about the execution isn't absolutely it? so you can start with that seed but you've got to water it you've got to make sure it faces the sun you've got to tend it you've got to shelter it from the wind all that kind of stuff the sports psychology thing fascinates me all psychology fascinates me because it's so real and it's so evident. It's so useful as well, isn't it, in your life? Mm. Mm. You know, and you talk about uh, various um, sort of mental geniuses giving you uh, sort of pointers like, you know, inhabit a certain character when you go into the field. You talk about the warrior mentality as well. Mm. All the different characters that you've, you've deployed depending on where you are, whether it's a test match or a one day, or you're overseas, whether you're feeling lonely, all these different things, you know, because it's not really how Stuart Brawl wakes up in the morning with his talent, um, his commitment and his training. It also depends what the weather's like, what mood you're in, whether you say that, because it's never the same, is it? Ever. Never the same. So what were you taught about that 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 could help people listening today going about their own business? Yeah, I mean, the note-taking that that really helped me going back to this summer. um, So Baz and Stokesy within the group are very, they want the the changing room to be a very positive place. So there's no, no scope for going... Oh, I feel a bit tired this morning. I'm not feeling quite right. Yeah, you know, you almost have to get that out of your mind before you get to the changing room. So I'd wake up, grab a coffee, and then write my notes straight away. And it's okay for me to say I'm tired, but I'd say it to myself in my notes and go, "Look, appreciate that you're a bit tired this morning. You're maybe a bit sore, but that's that's fine. But bring energy to the group. Yeah. So actually, when you walk in the changing room, say how great the coffee was at the hotel. And you know, almost like. Not fake it, but almost act like you feel great. Because, what is great about today already? Yeah. yeah so for me, um, so for me, what really helped me was yeah, acknowledging and being honest with how I was feeling. But but also, if someone says to you in the morning, oh, "I feel a bit tired," well, ultimately, you then you go, "Maybe I'm a bit tired actually." Yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. 100%. So, but if you walk in a change room and go, "God, I feel great today. How, how good is this? The sun's shining. We're going to take wickets today. We're going to take wickets today. We're going <laughs> to." 
then ultimately someone will go yeah, I think we are going to take Wicked State. And then the conversation just naturally leads in a positive way. And uh, I, Who's the most positive person you've ever played with? Who's who's irrepressibly, annoyingly honestly, positive? So, so I know we've mentioned Baz a bit. He's been coached for 15 months. I've never heard him say a negative word, ever. So even when a batter gets caught on the boundary, he goes, I, another, more, another yard, it would have been six. <laughs> it's not oh That's you didn't true. quite middle so he must get back to his room at night and go just negative town you know oh, that was rubbish <laughs> that was rubbish but he's been so authentic with how how he's been around the group and that you know a, a small example Zach Crawley hit the first ball of the Ashes for oh, four crunched it through wondrous, the wasn't it? three days before we were having a barbecue up in Scotland and uh, four, 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 and you played golf before. and you just yeah, no we're cricket at, we're at all Lyman, yeah, no we mention t- of cricket no and we're having a barbecue and Zach, Zach goes, I'm going to hit the first ball of the Ashes for four. And in times gone by, someone would have gone, oh yeah, are you dreaming? Or yeah, radio, or, or I can't believe you said that out loud type thing. But everyone around and Ben Duckett, who was going to be out, went, I think you are, I know you are. You're going to crunch it. So that, he'd already planted that seed. So yeah, he got a, a ball outside off stump and he middled it through the covers for four. I mean, the atmosphere at Edgebaston went berserk. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. But he'd already talked about that. And the, the culture within the group was, yeah, of course you are. Of course you are. Yeah, that, that's what you're there for. Yeah, yeah. No one went, but what happens if you get out? Yeah. And that, I think that's what Baz has managed to bring to the environment, that these young players are learning now at 23, 24. They'll carry that through their whole career. Yeah. So it's a cultural change within English cricket, I think, of, of the Test Match team. And Yeah, let's hope it doesn't ever go backwards. Yeah, let's, I don't think it will. I mean, why, why would it? Why would it? Um, Vassos. Oh, I love how you keep coming back all the way through the book, and I—I lo- I mean, I—I'm—I I like the cricket nerdy bits. I—I I, think I think my favourite Stuart Broad moment actually is that 169 when you came in as a number nine. But mm. I love the fact, just on a human level, you keep coming back to. You keep saying the word content. You see, keep saying the word satisfied. You keep saying the word fulfilled. You've definitely made the right call. I mean, what a what a crowning glory to your career, but you're happy that it's over? I wouldn't say I'm happy that it's over. I think I've had no regrets of making that decision right now. I think ultimately I won't know until I see Jimmy Anderson walk on the field in his whites and England cap because I'll be like, oh, God, am I missing that? Should I, do I want to be there? You feel like that. But yeah, I think I will. And I, that's to. fine. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. I'm allowed to feel like that. But I think something's looked after me in the fact that you know, I hit my last ball for six. I took a wicket with my last ever ball. If I ever stepped on a field again, I'm never going to be able to achieve that and again. And also go so, back and, you know, would you have bought that? You know, last last ball, last wicket as a bowler. Oh, I couldn't have written that script. La- last ball as a bat- batsman, yeah. six for England. Yeah, I couldn't in the, have written in that. In the ashes. I couldn't have written that script. Well, you could have written it, but you wouldn't have... I wouldn't have believed it. Nobody had bought the script. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> uh, I, think, I think I feel content because I do know I could have played on and I was loving it and... I never wanted to get to that stage in sport where it became a chore and then your lasting memories are, oh, I wasn't very good, I felt tired, I felt sore. So I'm leaving going, I love cricket. So my when I talk to kids about cricket, when I talk to Annabella about cricket in the future, it will be with great memories and great energy instead of just getting to that stage where I was over the hill and, and had gone. And um, Because you're so fresh now. Or because you're such a fan of Baz and because you, you, you've been in the thick of it like a second ago, again with mm. the Ashes, and because of all the Bearstow stuff, wouldn't they... Has it ever happened where they've just immediately drafted somebody onto the coaching staff? Like straight away, boom. Good question. Would you take um, that job if they offered it to you this afternoon? 
I think I probably wouldn't because I think part of the stepping away from the game, the, the tra- there's a lot of travel within international yeah, cricket. Yeah, okay, and, and you just had a baby and all that stuff. Yeah, right? I think I just want to yeah. calm down a bit and spend a bit of time at home and control. Well, I would love to have you with Kaz Ball and Baz Ball. You, you're, the, you're the love child of Kaz and Baz Ball, <laughs> yeah. the balls. Yeah. I, think, I, think, uh, I think ultimately with Jimmy still being around, there's so much experience in, in yeah. that changing room still. I think I if, Jimmy, part of it if Jimmy and I had gone together, I think that could have been... A conversation because it's such an awesome place to to work. So it's such an awesome happen. place to be. But of course, you were cutting your teeth commentating, weren't you, with the hundred? Yeah. So you've already dipped your toe to that pool. Yeah. Did that. <laughs> I must admit, I was getting a lot of texts like, "Oh, you've 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 jumped straight in there, haven't you?" But yeah. I'd actually sorted those dates back in February, so it was. But uh, you're you good know, at it. You enjoyed, I enjoyed it. it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And ultimately, I think with punditry and coaching, it still gives you that that feeling of big matches. You still get to walk on the yeah, pitch. You still get to be out there and see the crowd. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a cricket fan. and It's my greatest hobby. I'm always going to be around the sport. Well, you see Phil Neville, and we all know, you know, Phil Neville's uh, property portfolio has been talked about. Like, You know, he's not short of a few quid, but he's out there, isn't he, for Sky Sports, and he's got his his winter coat on. He was there this weekend, freezing cold, but still loving it. He doesn't need to do that. Well, we've commentated on golf together, haven't we, Chris, with, with ex-players who sort of still feel they're... <laughs> They're playing. And they're as competitive mm. behind the mic yeah. as they were on the yeah. Blimmin Golf Course. Yeah. Which is all the better for it. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, not, it's not great to be around. Yeah, sometimes. and I'm never going to lose the care of English cricket or Nottinghamshire cricket. You know, I still, every time I flick on, I just want them to win and the, my friends and teammates to do well. So it's one of those, like, yeah, I'm not in the team anymore and I'm not going to put the cap on anymore. But I still feel part of it. A couple of quickies because we're nearly out of time. Uh, what's a Bale Mary for people who don't know? Bell Mary is uh, something I did twice in my career, which probably should have done 17 years previous. If I changed the bales over and took a wicket the next ball. Is that just to freak people out or, or what? I don't know where it came from. Honestly, I thought and it was... And you're allowed a, to do that? You're allowed to do it, yeah. How, I, come, I, how come you're allowed I to... I thought it was an Australian change of luck. That's why I tried it. Yeah. Um, turns what out happened next? every Australian had never heard of it and we got a wicket the next right. ball. You got a wicket. Mm. And um, what's the other thing? Oh, yeah. A um, couple of things. You can always... Lay a flagstone or two if you need a few quid, can't you? Because you've done that for a living. I did, in yeah. In the past, um, which helped you buy your first car, which was a Vauxhall Corsa, which is probably too small for you because you're like 12 feet tall. Um, what was the what was the most people, teammates you had in the Vauxhall Corsa? And then what was the best sponsored car you got? A, from a car point of view. B, from a height point of view. <laughs> <laughs> Good question. The Vauxhall Corsa, I could barely fit in it myself, so I never had any teammates in that. Cor- I still I, love Vauxhall Corsa. With, with, the, with the cricket kit, I had, you know, cricket bats coming out the front seat, out yeah. the windows, everything. So that was... That was quite fun. Uh, the best sponsor car, we had, we had uh, Jaguar for a while, which was pretty cool. We all got XKRs, so we had to turn nice. up in, in the, at the ground in them. So, yeah, we, we looked pretty cool in them. Well, you're 37. You look 27. I was going to say that. Tops. What's your skincare routine? Never mind this cricket. And you're not as blonde <laughs> as you used to be. you still got a full head of hair, but you were really blonde at one point. Yeah, that you? was uh, highlighted. No, yeah, it wasn't. It was, that was a kid. I've no, I was a kid. Place. I was very blonde as a kid. Yeah, I just spent my whole uh, all the time outside. So it was sun bleached. Right. Yeah. Okay, Stu. I think we're done and we're out of time. But um, thanks for the book. No, thanks thank for you for having thanks me. Thanks for the book. Thanks for being so nice. Every thanks for that lovely lunch we enjoyed at Wimbledon with you and your mum. Yeah, that was great. That was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, great. I didn't realise I I was in the company of the originator of Casball at the time. <laughs> we had a lovely time. You clearly love your mum to bits. Yeah, of course she's you a do. star. Well done, mate. Anything else you'd like to say? No, thank you very much for having me and thanks for, for reading the book. Well, enjoy fatherhood. Um, are you getting married soon-ish? 
Ish, still in the pipeline. Okay, but you've done the proposal at the top of the hill and all that. It's Absolutely. all in the book. It's all in the book. It's a great story. Stuart Broad, let's hear it for Stuart Broad. Control room, round of applause. One of the greats of the game. Okay, have a great Monday, everyone. We'll see you Tuesday. Goodbye. Love the 80s? Then you'll love Virgin Radio 80s Plus. Love Chris Evans. Love the 80s. Over on Virgin Radio. 80s Plus. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.